I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students and our city, and this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. Um, Well, that was a long meeting last night, about almost six hours of school committee meeting last night. You know, and Jill, I got to say, I got to start by saying there's just this consistent theme that came up last night in multiple presentations that we see over and over and over again at these meetings. When there's a process for something, you know, a new superintendent, a bus driver contract, a new exam school policy, a merger between schools, we're always told, don't worry, we got plenty of time to make these decisions. We're going to do a lot of engagement. There's no rush. Just everyone relax. Mm-hmm. Not, no, no need to, to be concerned. And then all of a sudden, things move very quickly. Yep. And the school committee is told, we have to make a decision very quickly on this. And the school committee members come back and they go, what happened? Why, why so quickly? Well, look, if, if we don't make a decision right now, there's dire consequences to not making a decision. And by the way, the decision should be to support the recommendation. So right, Jill, the school committee members are often forced to make a decision to support a recommendation by the superintendent and her team with little to no time, little to no data. Mm -hmm. And then typically, once a decision is made, the school committee members are told we'll collect data on it and we'll make adjustments as we go. Right. Like, well, let's look at this 12 months out, 18 months out. Then let's give ourselves the time. Say yes now and we'll fix it later. Yeah. Say yes now. It's an imperfect decision. And trust us, we will adjust and make changes as we go on and we'll iterate. And lo and behold, after the decision is made, school committee members are told, oh, we don't make any changes for this for at least five years. Let's see how it plays out. And Jill, this is how the school system and the school committee has made policy for as long as I can remember. It is always in this cadence. Yeah. It is a hurry up to wait, to rush, and then to not do anything for a long period of time after the decision is pushed through. Well, I think you're right. We did see a lot of that last night. The meeting started the way it always starts with the superintendent's report. But what was interesting to me is that the questions that were asked later had nothing to do with her report. Do you want to quickly go through the topics in her report? Sure. So, Jill, the the superintendent said we're going to get a report on ESSER next week. Mm-hmm. This is a superintendent's last week of being superintendent. We'll get a report on ESSER. We have heard that fraction, a small, very small fraction of $400 million that's supposed to be spent on relief for our students who experience COVID and disruptions to their learning, that those $400 million, we've spent mere tens of millions. And, and by the way, it, like we could have been spending this this year, part of last year. Like A lot of this is supposed to be helping counter the effects of the pandemic. I mean, what is going on that we didn't take advantage of the money that the government gave us? It, it is. It's ridiculous. We'll get a report on this next week, apparently. No one asked about it, though. No one asked. Nope. Nope. But a huge amount of money wasted that will eventually just go back to the federal government, right. uh, rather to support our students. So sad. Uh, we did I mean, hear... we could have just given it out as cash. It would be better than sending it back. States have done this, Jill, yeah. right? They've given out to families for tutoring and for other right. assistance. We could have done that. Instead, we chose not to do anything. We did hear, Jill, an exciting announcement about the Carter School. This is a school that serves students with multiple disabilities and who are medically fragile. They're going to get a new building, a $100 million project. It will be opened school year 24-25. Summer school data, we heard a little bit about summer school enrollment. 
approximately 15,000 kids are in summer school seats and that there's about 3,000 more seats available to students should they be interested in enrolling in the summer school program. Again, that's, I guess, a little less than what we heard last time was we had, uh, I think, over 20,000 seats. But the number keeps on shifting a little bit. Um, But it it is good to see that we have 15,000 kids enrolled in summer programming. What was missing from the superintendent's report was Mission Hill School. We were supposed to get a report around the central culpability of what happened at Mission Hill School and you know what was the central office's role in that. And the superintendent promised that she would provide that before she left in June and no mention of it in the superintendent's report, no question about it from the members, left unsaid. It's also worth noting, Jill, that last night on the agenda for the meeting, it explicitly stated that the superintendent would cover negotiations with the state concerning its audit of BPS. Right. But she finished her report without any reference to this at all, which led to this exchange between school committee member Brandon Cardet Hernandez and the superintendent. Is this the time in the agenda where we can get a, an update on where we are with the DESI review and the MOU and what is the, the current state of play? So uh, we, it's a really good question. Um, we are very, very close to an agreement with DESI. We'll be providing for them. I think the mayor's office is just finalizing those edits right now, actually, and getting them over to uh, DESI, hopefully by uh, this evening. And then I guess it sort of leans into previous questions I've had just around the information we'll get around that before a final agreement is signed. You know, there are like major governing implications, obviously, around the MOU as well as strategy for the next superintendent. So I'm curious what our commitments are as, as a school committee and, and where our oversight lies in, in making sure that that's an agreement that we also um, can stand behind. You know, Madam Chair has been involved with the mayor's office and reviewing those drafts as they go back, back and forth. And so I, I will give a full report next week and let you know where we're at with that. Um, and then that would then be ready for public consumption if we, if we don't get it sooner. And I, I commit to making sure that you all uh, get a copy of the next draft that we uh, send to them. Jill, there's a few interesting things that came up in this back and forth. Mr. Cadet Hernandez is asking when the school committee will get to see the draft agreement with the state. And he's told that it will be publicly presented next week. Essentially, the superintendent is saying that the school committee members won't have a chance to see it before it's publicly presented. But she also says that Chair Jerry Robinson has been involved in in these negotiations. Now, Jill, we've seen no evidence that there's any agreement that's going to be presented. The superintendent saying, you know, there's some back and forth. But who knows what's really going on here? Right. But, Ross, if the chair is part of this process, then why isn't she keeping the rest of the committee in the loop on negotiations? Isn't that sort of why she's there and part of her responsibility? I think that's all that Mr. Cardet Hernandez was requesting. It isn't clear yet if school committee even needs to vote on the agreement with DESI. This is ultimately an agreement between DESI and the city or between DESI and BPS. That's a great question. It goes right back to the theme we talked about at the beginning. If the committee is ultimately expected to approve this agreement, an agreement that Mr. Cardet Hernandez correctly points out as a huge governance implication for the future of BPS, then it seems they should be part of the process rather than just being expected to rubber stamp the agreement after it's already been decided. And if, in fact, they'll even be asked to vote on the agreement at all. I mean, Jill, 
this is the job of the chair right. on the school committee right. to inform members about what's happening. Right. And if we see members asking questions of like, what's going on with this major negotiation that's in the paper every day? And, and what is our role? This is this is a breakdown yeah. of the school committee. It's a breakdown of leadership. Well, that brings us to the next presentation of the evening, an update from the Superintendent Search Committee co-chair Pam Edinger. Earlier in the day, it was announced that there were two finalists for the position of superintendent. But Ms. Edinger began her presentation by disclosing that there were actually four finalists and then described the demographics of those finalists. Here's what she said. As we moved into our finalist round, we were really excited because we had four candidates that we were going to rec- we were going to recommend. We had three women and one man, and one African American, one Latinx, one API, and one white. But Ms. Edinger went on to clarify that two candidates withdrew from the process, presumably very recently. Four candidates were identified um, and were diverse in gender and race ethnicity and the type of professional and lived experiences that we wanted. But regrettably, two of the four candidates withdrew their candidacy for personal reasons. But even so, we remain very confident as a committee um, in our process and its rigor, and that the two candidates who are continuing on to the process are qualified for this leadership post. So listed alphabetically by last name, and you know this already, the two continuing finalists are Mary Skipper and Tommy Welch. So Ross, we're down to two finalists, Mary Skipper and Tommy Welch. We know them both very well. Why, in your opinion, are each a good candidate for the superintendency? That's a good interview question, Jill. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Look, Mary and Tommy are both amazing people. I mean, first and foremost, they care about kids. They both have had tremendous experience in Boston, leading schools and and working with great leaders in schools. Mary and Tommy are both leaders of other leaders, Mm -hmm. right? They are literally like they bring out the best in people that are around them. They've done significant things as school leaders and founders of really innovative high schools. Mm -hmm. And then they've went on to lead work in central offices and and school districts. They're both phenomenal candidates. Uh, I know them both incredibly well. And I'm personally thrilled that they're the two finalists for this position. Yeah, that's terrific. And and we don't know who the other two candidates were. That's confidential. So we we won't hear anything else about the candidates who interviewed in the previous rounds. The only thing we know is what's announced with these two finalists. Right. Okay. Well, these folks are both really strong candidates for the superintendency, and they both know BPS really well, as you said. It was surprising, though, I thought that there wasn't much discussion about their skills as leaders and operators, nor was there much excitement expressed that these very competent candidates are up for being the next superintendent of the school district. Rather, there seemed to be some sort of underlying issue that some of the school committee members had with the process. Although, as Pam Edinger pointed out, the process, as she saw it and as she portrayed it, was very tight and completely legitimate. This is one of the tightest searches, and I don't mean time frame. I mean in terms of protocol and rigor. It's one of the tightest searches I have ever participated in and have had the honor to serve. Uh, but school committee members expressed disappointment and maybe even frustration with the outcome of the search committee's process. Here's Mr. Cadet Hernandez. These are two exceptional candidates. I trust my colleagues on the, on the search committee uh, to bring forward top talent. Uh, I understand that for many members of the public, uh, particularly folks of color, particularly for myself, uh, this sample, this pool, just doesn't feel linguistically, racially, or ethnically diverse enough. And for me, not diverse enough to be presented to the school committee for the final process. 
And I also hear that there were four candidates who were finalists. Though, again, we were only told to hold three days, so I'm not even sure how we were going to schedule for. So first, he makes an interesting point here that Ms. Edinger is claiming there were four finalists, but there were only ever three interview days scheduled. So there's something that's not being said here about that or how they were going to fit four finalists in. But even if you take her word that there were four finalists, we don't know why two of them dropped out at the last minute. What is happening behind the scenes that led to this outcome? You know, Jill, I have no idea. I have no idea what happened. But we did get some insight from Chair Robinson into just how recently all of this has been playing out. I felt that the committee did, to the best of their ability, kept us informed at every step of the way in the process. And even over the weekend, as they were doing their final deliberations, I reached out and people were very excited about the pool of folk that they were about to put forth to us. And as we know that there is danger in going public and what people choose to do as a, an exercise to become part of a pool is one thing when you get to that final moment when you have to go public, you know, uncertainties happen. What, what is she saying? As of this weekend, there were still four candidates. That's just a couple of days ago. What happened over the past few days that two candidates, two of the candidates of color, pulled out of the search? What are the dangers of going public? She's a public servant. This is a search for a head of an important public institution here in Boston. What are the uncertainties to which she's alluding? And then, Jill, Jerry goes on to talk about how we should all be disappointed, even though the two candidates remaining are tremendous candidates. I understand how disappointing that has been. I know how disappointed I was in this as well. Um, and I had a very restless night last night about how I thought about this, what I wanted to say to all of you. But also what I want to say is that we had many criteria for our candidates. We have two candidates that still meet many of those issues in the criteria. In fairness to them, and in fairness to anything we might do later, I feel we need to honor our commitment to go forward with having their complete a process that they started in good faith with us. So she seems to be suggesting that they continue the process out of fairness to the two remaining candidates, but doesn't commit to appointing anyone. Does the chair not believe that these remaining candidates are competent and capable enough for the role? She says that they met many of the criteria, but not all. Which criteria did they not meet? There seems to be something amiss here. So we're down to three options. Either the school committee hires Mary Skipper or Tommy Welch as our next superintendent, or the newly appointed interim superintendent, Drew Eccleson, remains on his interim until a new search is done or until a new interim is named. So we are left with two very strong candidates, one who worked in the district for years and runs a nearby district today, and the other who was a superstar beloved by families in South Central L.A., which, by the way, is as diverse and is the size of BPS. I do wish that we understood more about why school committee members and the chair were so disappointed with the outcome of the search. I, I understand being disappointed that two decided to not continue with the process that they had started, right? They were part of the pool of 36. They'd come all the way through, and then they declined at the finish line. That That is disappointing. 
but there are still two strong candidates. Essentially, Jill, what happens here is Mary Skipper interviews all day on Thursday. We'll post the links to her live interviews. We could all join. And then Tommy Welch interviews all day Friday. And then the school committee will come back next Wednesday, Jill, and vote on either Tommy or Mary. That's right. The meeting moved on to public comment, where most comments were from community members at the Russell School concerned about the merger with the CLAP School that was announced at the last meeting. When asked about this by a school committee member later in the night, the superintendent said the school committee should not worry about it. This merger process is still continuing and the planning will continue for the next 18 months. So, Jill, there's plenty of time. So it's kind of like what we were talking about before, where we've seen this play out. School committee is told not to worry about an issue because there's still a long way to go. But then they likely won't hear anything about it until there's time to make a decision. And then we're back to we hurry up, hurry up you know, and essentially rubber stamp the decision that we need you to make. Yes, we'll see if that same pattern holds true. After public comment, the meeting continued with a vote to approve grants, including a grant worth $45 million for school nutrition. Often in these meetings, these grants are unanimously approved without much or any discussion. But that's not what happened last night. In fact, last night, three members voted yes, and every other member abstained. Right. So Chair Robinson paused the meeting at this point and said, what is going on here? Like, why are you all abstaining? And the answers were fairly consistent across the board. They'd only just received the information about the grants right before the meeting yeah. and felt that they were not given enough time to read and digest the information. Well, it seems fair. Ultimately, though, because of Robert's rules, which govern how a school committee makes decisions, the grants were approved because of the three yes votes, which represented a majority of those who voted. But the point was made that school committee members in the future would like to have more time to read and consider the information before it is put to a vote. And that point became even more clear during the next agenda item, a vote on the side letters of agreement with the bus drivers union. Ross, we talked about these letters last week. Can you remind us what these side letters say? Okay, Jill, there's, th- this is how this works. Yeah. There is the school district who mm-hmm. has a transportation department, okay? And our transportation department fields questions from families about where their school bus is. They do all the routing for students across the, the city. They pretty much run transportation. They contract with a business partner called TransDev mm-hmm. to operationalize transportation. Mm-hmm. So TransDev hires bus drivers. So this is the tr- the key function of Transdev is to employ the bus drivers. They employ them, yep. Okay. So Transdev employs the school bus drivers. Therefore, the school committee does not negotiate with the bus drivers because they're not employees of the school system. Mm-hmm. Transdev negotiates with their employees. Mm-hmm. Now, this is unprecedented, but the bus drivers essentially want the school system to guarantee them two things as part of their contract with TransDev. If the school system changes vendors and no longer uses TransDev, the bus drivers want to be employed by whomever is chosen to be the contractor for the school system. And that's side letter A. This is the letter of agreement that says, if you change vendors, we are still employed with whomever vendor you choose. And the second letter says, if you do away with a vendor like TransDev, we are guaranteed to become employees of the school system. Okay. In exchange for this, the drivers agree not to strike. So at the last meeting, when this was presented, there were no questions from the school committee. But this week, school committee member Brandon Cardet Hernandez pushed for clarity. Right. So 
Jill, Mr. Cadet Hernandez was wondering about precedent with this. Are there any other labor unions or contract agreements in the city of Boston or around the country that do this? And the answer that was provided to him was no. This is very unusual. Yeah, well, but it took a long time to get there. (laughs) It took a long time to get there. There There was definitely different people who popped up on the screen last night who maybe weren't intending to be in the meeting, who were like wondering about how to answer the question that Mr. Cadet Hernandez was pushing forward. Right. Well, he wanted to know, was there precedent? Was he missing something? Is this the way Boston does agreements? Right. Because it seemed very confusing to him. He was basically saying, this is an incredibly expensive transportation system. And aren't we now putting ourselves in a box and not allowing ourselves to innovate? Like we can't partner with anyone else because the folks who are currently employed by TransDev will always be employed by someone and they will always be members of the Steelworkers Union, right? That that was, that's, that's those Correct. are the side letters. So I think his biggest concern was, man, like, doesn't this just keep us in a situation where we are never going to have a more efficient transportation system? The, he, there, there is, it, it does lock us into a very non-competitive contract with our bus drivers for the future. Well, it's interesting, right? So we got we got to the end. There was several people that popped into the meeting or who were called into the meeting to answer Mr. Cardet Hernandez's question because the folks who were in the room didn't know how to answer it. And so ultimately, we got word that someone from the city's labor office, the city's chief labor negotiator, Mr. Mandarini, was going to enter the meeting. Right. So as a reminder, Jill, we haven't seen the contract between TransDev and the bus drivers. Right. The school committee was told, you're you're not really privy to this contract. You just need to approve these side letters. You just need to approve these side letters. Yeah. And not vote on the contract. Right. Uh, but Mr. Mandarini did share that there was three major concessions that were included in this agreement that was good for the city of Boston and our kids. The first big reform was that drivers would no longer be allowed just to not show up. It's called no call, no show. Right. So previously, drivers were allowed to just not come. They could do that three times without any sort of Right. So they just not show discipline. up on any day, not call in. And, you know, Jill, you recall, every year we end up with thousands of kids without a bus yeah. because we don't have bus, the buses don't show up right. or they're not on time. The second major reform was that drivers were able to leave the job like they they could go work somewhere else at a different job mm-hmm. and they would still accrue seniority as a bus driver so they could come back if they chose to come back they would have a position of seniority in terms of hiring yeah like, the, like somehow they're allowed to just like go work somewhere and just come right back and that was okay yeah um, so that's it. so they're no longer able to do that and then the third major accomplishment was that the drivers have to check the safety of the bus before they get on the bus for three minutes. They have to make sure they have no flat tires and the windshield wipers work so that the safety of the kids. Yeah. But you couldn't do that. People were coming in and then doing that twice. And now you're only allowed to do that once. Yep. I was left, Jill, you know, feeling underwhelmed. Well, I just didn't (laughs) hear like how we're not going to leave kids. Like, I mean, isn't the biggest problem every year is that like we don't pick up kids or we drop them off in the wrong place or there's an unbelievable delay in getting a certain number of kids to school. Not all kids, just a percentage of kids. But I didn't completely understand or really at all how this solved for the problems that break 
families. Nobody said, here's what's called, here's what causes our kids to not go to school or to be stranded on the streets every day. (laughs) And here's how this contract solves that. We didn't hear that. At the best, we heard that there's very small incremental changes and we're locking in with these drivers forevermore. And that's basically what happened was that this thing kind of followed the same pattern that we're talking about. School committee members were told that the whole contract agreement is going to fall apart unless right now, tonight, they approve these side letters. And so, you know, it sort of seemed like their hands were tied. In fact, the superintendent said that explicitly. So, superintendent, it is your recommendation that we approve this side letter? Absolutely. I said that when I, on the outside, there's just in no way, shape, or form that we cannot go through with this agreement. It took months to get. It's been years in the, 50 years, you heard um, Mr. Mandarini say that we haven't been able to get these operational changes. We've been trying for three years to get them, um, you know, under my administration too. And this is just a huge, huge, huge win for children and for on-time performance. Not perfect. We will continue to strive to get those other operational changes that we've been discussing. But this is a big step forward. And I would urge I would urge a yes vote. So so it took months to get. It's been years in the making. And now the school committee is only being bought into the discussion at the 11th hour when they have no choice but to approve it, which they did unanimously. So then the next report of the evening was an update on the implementation of the new exam school policy. Yeah, there wasn't much in this report, Jill. They, they still don't have accurate data on impact. They have some preliminary data on MAP and grades saying kids seem to be doing okay in, once they get into the exam schools. Dr. Eccleston um, represented that there's slightly more special ed, slightly more ELL students, and slightly lower income students who got invited to the exam schools. And we do not have the data on who has accepted those invites. Mm-hmm. So Jill, what really got me last night was the delta on the number of kids that applied versus were accepted into an exam school was 200. Mm-hmm. So essentially 200 kids who applied were not accepted. That, that just seems crazy to me because if you look back three years, there were fewer kids accepted last year and this year than the year before. So I think, I mean, I think you're right. Like, it doesn't seem right that we can't find a spot for 200 kids. And why, why, you know, why, why is it such a big deal about winners and losers? Right. And why couldn't you have every kid who applied yeah. get a seat? Figure you're literally it out. within 200. Figure it out or, or figure out how to like make a fourth exam school if you need to put that label on things. Totally. Uh, it, it, this, th- this does not have to be a winners and losers situation. No. no. This deserves to be revisited in the fall when students have made their decisions and there's, when there's more complete data on those students. Yeah. But in the big picture, Jill, the reason there's so much interest in this conversation is because of the lack of quality high school pathways and seats for our BPS students. So we can just keep on talking about these three schools or or we could have a conversation about making sure every student who doesn't go to an exam school has an option for a strong high school education. I totally agree. The final report of the evening was renewals for the Horace Mann Charter Schools. Last week, we heard renewal proposals for five innovation schools. It was the end of the meeting, late at night, and we heard all about the great work that's happening in these schools. This week, the school committee voted to approve all five innovation school renewals. And at the end of the night, we heard again about the great work that's happening in the Horace Mann schools. It's frustrating, Jill. The discussions about our most innovative high schools who serve our most at-risk students are saved for the last presentation of meetings and given mere minutes to provide- At the end of the year. Yeah, at the very end of the year, given mere minutes to provide overviews of their schools. 
If only the school committee spent as much time and attention on these schools as they did on tweaking the exam school policy, then maybe we would have a shot at a more equitable school system. Yeah. Well, that's what happened last night at Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. First up, will Mary Skipper or Tommy Welch be selected as the next superintendent of Boston Public Schools? And why did the two other finalists drop out in the last few days? What happened behind the scenes in the search process that isn't being shared? What's the latest on the negotiations with the State Department of Elementary and Secondary Education? When will the school committee and the public be brought into that process? And of course, there are ways to engage and get involved. Attend the public interviews of Mary Skipper and Tommy Welch this Thursday and Friday. The Times and Zoom links are in the bio. And if you haven't listened yet, there's no better time to check out our special podcast series on the search for a superintendent. It's seven episodes featuring exclusive interviews with Superintendent Caselius and our five predecessors and more than a dozen community leaders. The full series is available in your podcast feed at bostonsuperintendent.com. Thank you for listening to last night's school committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.